Um, I'm so excited about preaching today. We're going through um, the book of, we're going through Genesis chapter 12 to 25, which is the story of Abraham. It's the story of Abraham. And in Signal Church, one of our values is that we are rooted in Scripture, and uh, that's why we, even in the height of singing, we still think it's so important, open up the Word and see what's in there and preach about it. Even though it's written so long ago, it's got such um, amazing relevance to our lives. You'll, you'll see for yourself if you're new to church today. By the way, if you are new to church, so delighted that you'd be with us. And um, we come to this part of the text. So let me read it to you. Genesis chapter 17, Genesis 17, verse 1 to 2. When Abraham, Abra, Abraham, not Abraham, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. The Hebrew word there is El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Let's keep going. Next one. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And I, put, I created the PowerPoint, but I realized I actually cut out a verse which says, where God says to him, Abraham, I'm Lord Almighty, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I don't know how I cut that out, I just noticed now, but that's an important part of my sermon, so take note, I left that out. Okay, I've got four points for you, here we go. The first one is this, that God sometimes withdraws his felt presence. We're going through the story of Abraham, and between the ages of 75 and 86, there's five different places where Abraham, when Abraham has these vivid encounters with God. And we know that because the writer of Genesis is recording these stories. God is speaking to this man, showing himself to this man, speaking to this man, showing himself to this man. And then God has promised him he's going to have a child. And he makes his own plans and he gets um, Hagar, not his wife, pregnant. And Ishmael is born. And he thinks, look, I've generated my own son. And of course, it's a flop. Hagar, last week we learned from Sipukazi and her son Ishmael leave, and the thing is a disaster. That takes him to age 86. Now he is 99 years old. In other words, between Genesis 16 and Genesis 17, there is a 13-year time gap. Why the time gap? Because the writer of Genesis is only recording his encounters. For 13 years, Abraham doesn't have a vivid encounter with God. God sometimes withdraws his felt presence. This is an important point because, you know, when you become a Christian, I, be, I was 16 when I became a Christian, I had such vivid, uh, ex, an experiential launch into my faith that over the years, you get patches of time, sometimes we call them dry seasons, where uh, you feel very far from God. <laughs> and it's not because you're doing anything wrong. It, it is possible. It is possible that you've hardened your heart to God and you've walked away from Him and that's why you can't feel Him. And then it's not so much that God has left you, it's you've left God for the time being. But I'm talking about times when you still are going to church, you're still praying, you're still reading your Bible, you still want to follow Jesus, but it's so empty. It feels like God is so far away. Anybody in this room ever experienced a dry season? Okay, I mean, a lot of hands are going up. And, and here's the thing to know, you're not alone. The father of our faith, Abraham, 
this is the way it was. I mean, this is, he is the, the, uh, the example of the believer. So if this is how God works with the first believer, you gotta know that that'll be normative in our lives. It'll be normative in our lives. It happens from time to time. And, and what I'd say to any of you in a dry season for the time being is, is remember that your faith is not based on feelings. Because you might go, I can't feel anything, so is my faith even real? Your faith can be very real, even though you can't feel anything. Because faith is a choice to believe what God has already showed you in the past. Has God spoken to you in the past? Did God reveal himself to you when you heard the gospel? Because then, then he showed himself to you in the past. You hold on to that. Nobody was more forsaken than Jesus on the cross where he prayed, Father, why have you forsaken me? I mean, he, the, the night before he's praying, he feels very alone. And yet we're told that, he, that Jesus is showing us how to trust God even when it hurts. To do the last thing God told you to do even uh, when it hurts. So faith is different from feelings. In fact, we live by faith, not by sight, not by our senses. You could look around at the world and it looks to you in the moment like there's no sign that God is real but you've got a revelation, you've got the word of God. You, build, you hold on to what he's already showed you and then, and then keep on rowing, keep on rowing. So imagine you're a boat going towards, you know, across a channel, you're going towards God's promises. You might go, geez, I'm getting tired. You might go, you know what, I just give up, throw the oar away, let the current take you. Now, every now and then you're lucky because you, the current will just take you to the island. But I've seen enough people get washed out to sea when they stop rowing in the right direction. Even though God feels so far away, you read your Bible. Even though God sees so far away, you, you pray. Even though God, especially when God feels away, you go to God's people. Sometimes you look around at everybody and say, well, I don't think these guys are making it up, so I'll just stand, I'll just hang out with them. You know, you just put yourself with some people who, who seem like they've still got a living connection with God, even though you feel so far away from God. And we need community because these can be very discouraging um, times, desolating times. And we need to say to people, hey, um, I'm really struggling. Some people in this community have met with me and said, I feel so far away from God. I can't feel him. You seem to feel him. And my heart goes out to this guy and I pray for him. And, and it's important that we, can, we, we need the encouragement of God's people. And, and you need to persevere because I predict it won't be forever. It won't be forever. And you need to keep on doing the last thing God told you. Now, this story is definitely not a normal story, but it's one that I keep in mind when I think about these feelings of God being far away. It's the story of Mother Teresa. You know about Mother Teresa. I mean, she's the Catholic nun and the founder of the Missionaries of Charity. I think that's what it was called. I mean, she's famous, you know, for her work in Calcutta, for her selflessness, her compassion, her sacrifice for the poorest of the poor. She would take the most abandoned people in the world and love them even as they were dying. Just, and she led her nuns in this. And they would have a time of prayer. It wasn't just action. It was action flowing out of prayer. They needed to commune with God even as they served the poorest of the poor. Well, you know, after she dies, um, her spiritual advisor releases to the public his conversations with her and a letter she had written where she said that when she was in her 20s, she was on a train and she had this blazing revelation that God came to her and said, I want you to serve the poorest of the poor. She knew that she knew that God called her to do this and she, was set, and she set herself in that direction. And she said, and then after that, God never ever spoke to me again. That's her story. I'm not predicting it's gonna be in your story, but she said, 
I feel inside of me such an emptiness. I feel inside of me like God is not God, like God doesn't exist, like God has forgotten me. I'm quoting her. There's Mother Teresa, and her spiritual advisors said, well, you know, this is terrible, but what's the last thing God told you to do? What's the last thing God told you to do? And when God is, what God has shown you, walk in that direction, even when it seems like he's so far away. And of course, he's not really far away. It just certainly feels like it because he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. So that's my first point. Okay, my sermon gets more encouraging, encouraging after that point. My second point is that thankfully God sometimes approaches us in power. God sometimes approaches us in power. God comes to Abraham and he says, I am El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. And um, I've read lots of scholars trying to make sense of what exactly that term El Shaddai means, because it's one of the names of God in the Hebrew Bible, the, the Bible written before Jesus came, El Shaddai. And uh, people really struggle. They come up with different theories. But one of the ways you can figure out what it means is when does God reveal himself in that way? And every single time the name El Shaddai is used, it's when somebody is in a situation where they are helpless, where they are feeling powerless, where they're in an impossible situation. And then God comes to them at their point of need and reveals himself in power. And that's when he calls himself El Shaddai. So uh, one biblical scholar I think gets it right. From, based on the uses of the word El Shaddai, the word El Shaddai means the God who transforms human incapacity with his capacity. The God who takes human incapacity and transforms it with his capacity. That's what El Shaddai means. That's what it means that God is almighty. It's a, a name for God that is so important to those of us who feel powerless, who feel weak, who feel like we're in an impossible situation. That's when you want that name on your lips, God Almighty. Because Abraham, for 13 years, has been reflecting on the complete dismal failure of trying to bring the son of promise into the world with Ishmael, and it was a complete flop. His wife is infertile. We know that he's fertile because he managed to get a woman pregnant. But and, and, and the years just take on, and God has promised. He tried to make the promise come to pass in his own strength, and he failed. He faces every day. He's come to such a deep revelation of his incapacity. And it's almost like God just lets him just sit in that place of powerlessness for a long time. And then comes to him, and he says, so we've seen what you can do. Now, let me show, what I, show you what I can do. And, and I want to speak those words over your life. You've seen what you can do. Now let God show you what he can do. You've seen what you can do. Now let God show you what he can do. I remember I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. It was Cape Town Baptist. It's now this beautiful church, just 100 meters down the road, Jubilee Church. And, um, and I, was, I, I got, became a Christian. I just wanted to serve God. And I sprinted off in my attempt to change the world for God. And I was having very meager results for all of my enthusiasm. I just thought, take maximum energy and commitment. You could change the world. And my efforts were translating to very little results, actually. I mean, there was something. I mean, it wasn't like wasted. And I remember one morning in my waking up to read the Bible, and I just flipped through the Bible, and I think it's Psalm 61, and David prays, God, take me to the rock that is higher than me. 
I don't know what happened that day, but it was the exact words. It was like, I just started praying that prayer. God, take me to the rock that is higher than me. I, I'd lived at this level, and I was so disappointed with what was there. I was so disillusioned with my own capacity. God, if there's a, if there's a higher place, take me to the rock that is higher than me. I just started weeping, praying. Take me to the rock that is higher than me. And I prayed this prayer. And it was a few weeks after that I, that I was introduced to powerful outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And I connect the two. Because the way that God reveals his power, he comes to us in power, is through the Holy Spirit. God pours out his spirit on his people. Jesus says, I wait in Jerusalem to his disciples until you receive power, and then you will be my witnesses. That word power doesn't mean you will receive powerful experiences, although there is a powerful experience that follows in Acts chapter two. It literally means then you will receive abilities, abilities that are supernatural. God wants to give us by his spirit supernatural abilities. My favorite verse to describe God's power is Ephesians 3 verse 20, which says, not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. It's Ephesians 3.20. It's a cool one to put on your fridge. Ephesians 3.20. It's a cool one to memorize like I have. You can see I memorized it. It comes in handy. What I love about this verse is that it takes a little idea and then it amplifies it. Because if you look at those words, God, now, now God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that in, is in us. The, the core idea there, if you just try to find the, the hub idea, it's, it's that God is able. God is able, everybody. Paul is saying that, but he knows that he can um, add some adjectives. He can add some descriptions because he feels really strong about God's ability. So he says, now God is able. You see, it's one thing going, you know, God is able. Look, he rose Jesus from the dead. Look, you know, 20 years ago, I got radically saved. Well, one day Jesus is coming back and look what God is gonna do in the future. It's one thing saying God was powerful in the past and God will be powerful in the future. But Paul is saying, no, now God is able. This day, this moment, now God is able. And Paul goes, now I, I need to add some more words. So he says, no, now God is able to do, uh, to do what you ask. That's cool. I mean, we should ask and God is able to answer. And he goes, mm, I, can, I, can, I need to add more than that. You see, because if, if, if I say ask God to do stuff, you might ask for this. Paul says, God is able to do what you ask or imagine. You see, if you just, you just step into uh, ask mode, that's one thing. But Paul says, just do some imagining. Let your mind go. Now you're gonna be asking God for more, right? You let your mind go. Paul is still not happy, so he adds another word. He says, now God is able to do all you ask or imagine. Okay, almost there. Not quite yet. Paul needs to notch this up a little bit more. So he says, now God is able to do more than all you ask or imagine. Come on, Paul, stop. If you've said, you made your point. No, no, Paul is about to do something called making up a word. He puts in the word hyperexperiso. Now God is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. 
Hyperexperiso is, as far as we know, a word that Paul makes up. He literally is just linking up prefixes and, 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 and making a, this a bigger word. It's the equivalent of supersonic, califragic, espialidocious. I got it wrong. It's, okay, that word. That's what Paul is doing. God is supersonic, califragilistic, espialidocious, more than able to do all you ask or imagine according to his power that is in you. Um, wow. That's a good verse to ponder. To ponder. I mean, we were singing this morning, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power. God is powerful. So, and God is able to approach us in power and his power comes to us, yes, in the answer to prayers, but also in the outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Another value of signals is that we, we, we seek... Um, Sorry, spirit-led worship and encounter. We, we're looking for these outpourings of the Spirit. We believe that Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, is a description of what is normal for the church. When God's Spirit comes upon power upon people and takes them to the rock that is higher than them. Gives them supernatural abilities. And, and then I'm ready for my third point here. So my first point was God uh, sometimes withdraws his felt presence. Secondly, God sometimes approaches us with power. My third point from this passage is that God, third one, is that God's power is able to, Eli, can you help me here, my son? Leaving me hanging. God's power transforms our lives. God's power transforms our lives. Because of this revelation of power, Abraham becomes a different kind of person. His wife can tell. His friends can tell. People who know him can tell this guy has been marked by God's power. El Shaddai has changed this man. And it's fascinating because God says the words now, walk before me and be blameless. Now here's the fascinating thing. It's the first time in all these decades of God revealing himself to Abraham that God has pushed upon Abraham these ethical requirements. He's saying, hey, do the right thing with your life. He's taking his time. You know, my, my mom is an artist and she paints in oil. And you, firstly, you, you put the background color on. I say, mom, keep going, come. You've got a deadline, there's a, there's a portrait competition coming. She says, no, she's got to wait for it to dry. Only once it's dry, the next layer. When a person becomes a Christian in an ideal world, I think before you tell them one thing they need to do, before you tell them, read the Bible, pray, do good, you know, keep sex in marriage, all those things, you know, all the th you know, be generous, all, all those things, forgive your enemies. Before you tell them that, you paint on the first layer, because this is what God does to Abraham. First, God reveals himself in pure grace. Abraham is a moon worshiper, and God reveals himself to him by sheer grace. There's nothing about Abraham that attracted God towards him. And then in Genesis 15, we're told, we're told that God credited to him righteousness. Gave him the, so God's accepted him by grace, credited to him righteousness means that by sheer undeserved gift, he, you are right with me, Abraham. And the apostle Paul will later use this as a verse for what Jesus does. Just by believing in Jesus, we are made right with God. God declares Brendan right with God, not because of anything he did, but because of what Jesus did. And, and then God reveals himself in power. He says, I'm El Shaddai. Let me touch you with power. See, God will accept you by grace. He will give you the gift of righteousness, declare you right with God. He will pour out his spirit on you. 
and you're, and you're, you're still a moral mess. Your life hasn't changed yet. You see, a lot of people, I speak to them, they, I say, you know, I'm trying to encourage them to become a Christian or come to church. They say, you know, I, I need to clean my life before, I need to clean up my act before I can come to church. Or I need to, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite, I need to sort my life out before. And that's the equivalent of cleaning yourself before you climb in a bath. See, it's the grace and the righteousness and the power that is the bath. First layer, God's grace, what Jesus does for you. Second layer is what you start doing. There are things you need to do, but make sure that the first layer of paint is dry. Your relationship with God is not based on how obedient and disciplined you are. It's based entirely on how gracious and sacrificial Jesus is, what he did for you on the cross. Um, and then he says, walk before me. It's a, be a beautiful description. The word walk, it, it speaks about every day of your life, Abraham, walk before me. Live your life, your daily life, your hour by hour life, your, your, your eating food, climbing in a car, driving around, surfing the internet, meeting with uh, colleagues, you know, whatever you're doing every day, parenting, hanging out with friends, going for a walk on the beachfront. Every hour of your day, Abraham, learn to walk in before me. In other words, live in my presence. It's like a flower, those sunflowers, just face the sun. Abraham, in, the, in your deepest heart, whatever you're doing, you, you might be doing what all humans are doing, you know, but in your, your heart is, is facing towards me, facing towards my grace. Walk before me, you like an open book before God. That is what spirituality is. It's all of life with God, all of life for God, all of life before God, all of life with God. It's not just what you believe. It's not just that you plugged into a church and you, 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 you get to the programs. It's that you're learning to live your life before God. I mean, that must be transforming. That simple posture of the heart changes the way you interact, changes the way you respond. And um, walk before me and be blameless. Oh, who in this room is blameless? Okay, um, none of us. But, but God is saying, that's the direction you should be heading in. You don't have to say, oh, I'm imperfect. None of us can be blameless. Therefore, I'm not even going to try. No, no. You row your boat in the direction of, what, of, of integrity. You row your boat in the direction of sincerity. There's duplicity in your life. It, it's got to go. The people who know you well should be able to say that since this person has been walking with God, they're becoming more honest. They're becoming less defensive. They're not defending darkness in their life like they used to. They genuinely are, have an affection for God. They're learning to, to live as an open book before God and before the people. Walk before God and be blameless. And God's power transforms your life. And then my fourth point for you is God's power transforms our lives. God's power also transforms, this is my last point, our reach, our reach. And by reach, I mean, next slide, E. God's point transforms our reach, means God's power transforms our ministry, the difference we make in the world. And um, because listen to what God says to Abraham. He says, you are Abraham, but today I call you Abraham. For you will be a father of multitudes, kings will come from you, um, nations will come for you, from you, and you will be fruitful. God waits to this moment to change his name. Three of these people in the, in the book of Genesis have their names changed when God comes to them as El Shaddai. 
Sarai becomes Sarah, um, Jacob becomes Israel, and Abraham becomes Abraham. Because God's power is transforming his reach. You, you know what Abraham means? It's, what's the name his parents gave him? Abraham grew up in a capital of ancient Iraq in this um, magnificent city that was very success-orientated. By all signs, Abraham was a successful man. He had a good reputation with outsiders. He had wealth, he had achievement, he had status, recognition. He probably had some achievements and accomplishments behind him. All his life, he had been living for success. Mind you, to live in the 21st century, we feel the appeal to you know, try as, as much as we speak about the importance of being an authentic human, we notice the markers, the car you're driving, the place you stay, the clothes you're wearing, what you've achieved, status. We're very status conscious because that's human nature. We're success orientated. And yet God's coming to Abraham, which, and the word Abraham means exalted father, success orientated father. And he says, I'm giving you a new name. I brought you to the end of yourself. I've shown you your incapacity. Now I'm touching you with my supernatural capacity. Your name is now Abraham, which means father of multitudes. God is moving him from a success orientation to a significance orientation. See, before, Abraham impressed people with his natural abilities. But God's plan is for him to impact the world supernaturally. And you can see what that God works in people the same way to this day. God comes to your heart and he says, I notice that you uh, long for your own success. And it's not wrong, I'm not dissing that. But what if instead of longing for your success, success based on your abilities, you would trade that in for a life that's devoted to God's kingdom coming in the power of the Holy Spirit? What if God wants to multiply you <laughs> Father of nations. And uh, this morning, I, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about Signal Church, which is really enjoying what feels like a lot of favor from God. And, um, and it's, it's got some of the markers of success. It's growing, people are more generous, there's more money to figure out what to do. God's put us in a cool road. Uh, we've got some great leaders. Okay, yay? Let's trade that in for supernatural reach. Because, because I, the word that I've been carrying now for about almost a year for our church is multiplication. We don't have any plans and we as a leadership team haven't crystallized our best description of our future. We're not ready to cast a vision for you, but I just want you to know as the person who leads the team that leads this church, the word multiplication is the one that I feel inside of me. And I wonder if, God's favor upon our church is not just for this church, but for the multiplication of churches. In Cape Town, South Africa, around the world, who knows where it goes as we, uh, as we come to the God who transforms our incapacity with his capacity. And, and, and God's power, what it does is, is God's power um, gives us spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks about a bunch of spiritual gifts that, that operate in a community that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, trying to go by memory here. I mean, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy, faith, healings, gifts of healing, miracles, discerning of spirits, discer uh, uh, la supernatural languages, 
These are supernatural abilities that God gives for the building up of the church. When people come to the mic, it's not just a person going, oh, I've got an idea about what I could say to this bunch of people. We are trying to discern the whispers of God. And I, I find it amazing when there's two or three people that share a contribution that roughly speaking says the same thing. If you were here last week, there were five or six words that roughly speaking said the same thing. And today, the same thing happened again. Jesus is king, his authority, um, and uh, our lives under that authority where he multiplies our lives. I mean, Brendan didn't know that I was gonna be speaking on God multiplying what's in our hands. So, so that's the first thing. God gives us spiritual gifts by his power. I'll tell you what else his power does for us in terms of transforming our reach. He gives us power to reach people far from God. I'm talking about your family members, your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors. Um, because Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. Then you will be my witnesses. God gives you power. I know you go, I'm not an influencer. I'm not a social media influencer. I'm, I'm not a very influential person. God can use you to reach some people for Jesus. People that you love, people you care for. You pray for them. You care for them. I've seen this now for 20 years of my life. People have got family members they're praying for. In their mind, they say, this person could never become a Christian. And one year later, that person's a Christian sitting next to them in church. And I'm prophesying over your family and over your friends. And I'm prophesying over our children. And what God has done in your life will spread from you to others. And then one last idea about this power that transforms your reach is that somehow connects to weakness. See, the apostle Paul was a man who was on his big horse going to Damascus. He was full of himself. He was a successful man in his religion. He was full of power, it gone to his head. And if you don't know the story, Jesus encounters him and takes him off his mighty horse. He falls to the ground. God blinds him. He realizes his incapacity until Ananias arrives and says, God has called you and, I, to, and I'm gonna pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly Paul, Saul becomes Paul. Uh, I'm probably overdoing the name change there. But, but the point is that Paul gets touched by supernature and he discovers that when he's weak, God's power comes to him. And then you read the apostle Paul. His life is marked by constant reminders of his weakness. So that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I have learned to boast in my weakness so Christ's power may rest on me. For Christ's sake, I have learned to delight in weaknesses, in hardships, in insults, in persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My point being this, that if you live a life marked by the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that you feel strong the whole time. Sometimes it means you feel even more acutely weak, but you've learned to keep on taking your weakness and tucking it into El Shaddai because <laughs> it humbles you, it keeps you drawing close to God and you begin to realize when God is about to use you, he allows weakness to come into your life beforehand. This week I got a hiding. My wife knows about it. Some Someone said very nasty things about our church without an iota of truth. And it was getting to me. What to do? Confront it. Mistake, I learned my lesson. So I get hold of the person and I confront it. 
And what comes back is such vile an accusation that I'm trying to remember the things I read in my Facebook. Things about my life that if, they, if any of them were half true, I wouldn't even be allowed to be a, a leader in the church. And it, I couldn't believe the ferocity with which this came. But as it was happening, I realized this is a little distraction and it's one more opportunity for me to do exactly what Paul did. Boast in your weakness. In this case, I was boasting in insults. Insults. And I knew then, while I was having a hiding this week, that when I get to the mic on Sunday, thunder's coming. Power's coming. <laughs> and I ask you to stand up. Come with the band. What we're gonna do now is we're gonna trade in weakness for power. If you feel weak, why don't you come to El Shaddai and then trade in your incapacity for supernatural capacity. I pray that God's spirit touches you where you are. And, and then for those of you new to church or back in church after a long time, remember where it starts for you? Simply trusting in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins, who rose again, from the dead, so you can just, where you are, you can say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. Jesus, take my life, I trust you. Forgive my sins, take me into your family. You, you could pray that where you are. You remember back to this day, what day is it today? The, what of May? The 7th of May, 2023, is the day that you prayed that prayer where you were. You turned your heart towards the son of grace. 